Good morning, church. Happy Father's Day to you. Every father is concerned, of course, that a child would discover who he's supposed to be. And I heard a story of a preacher who was concerned that his high school son was having a hard time deciding what he wanted to be. So he devised an experiment to help him. He went into his room one time while the boy was gone and put four items on a table. A Bible, a dollar bill, a flask of whiskey, and an adult magazine. He reasoned if he picks up the Bible, he's going to become a preacher like his dad, and that would be great. If he picks up the dollar bill, he'll be a businessman, and that would be okay. But if he picks up the whiskey, he'll be a drunken bum, and that would be terrible. And if he picks up the magazine, he'll be a skirt-chasing womanizer, and that would be a disgrace. The father hid behind the door to see what his boy would do. Later, the boy walked into the room. He was about to walk out and noticed some items on a table. He walked over and picked up the Bible and put it under his arm. Then he picked up the dollar bill and put it in his pocket. He took a big swig of the flask of whiskey and started looking through the magazine. And the father thought, oh no, Lord have mercy. He's going to run for Congress. We're in a study to discern just who it is that we are supposed to be. And our Father in Heaven is very interested in our search. Because the key to knowing who we are may well be knowing who He is. You see, you can't have an heir without a parent. And so as we've discussed in this series on our new identity in Christ, what it means to be a saint and a slave of Christ, what we need to do now is recognize that knowing who we are depends on knowing who God is. And no one portrayed or understood God better than Jesus. And Jesus is consistent in portraying God's primary identity as Father. God is referred to as Father over 250 times in the New Testament. Now that is remarkable because God is hardly ever called Father in the Old Testament. And the few times that He is, it's typically in the sense of originator, the one who called Israel into being as a nation. But in the New Testament, He is described as this loving, caring father of individual believers. Now that's a remarkable change. Never called father in the Old Testament, called father more than anything else in the New Testament. What so radically changed the way the Bible pictures God? And the only answer is Jesus. Jesus changed how we look at God. He calls God father over 170 times. His very first words we have out of his mouth when he was a boy is, Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? His last words before he died, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He even prayed to God calling him Abba. Let me tell you how radical that is. When you taught your babies to speak, What did they first do? They would take a sound or a consonant and repeat it. 
And so they would call their father Dada. A Hebrew baby was the same way. The Hebrew word for father is Av. That's why we call it Avraham, the father of nations. And so that little baby would look up at his daddy and he would go, Ava, Ava. And Jesus talked to God like that? Can you do that? That's what Jesus did. He said the fundamental understanding of God is Father. Now, the problem with human metaphors for God is that they're all inadequate. For many of us, the idea of God as our Father is a positive and warming picture. And for some of you, it's not. For some of you, you hear the word father and you think of cruelty, you think of abandonment, you think of emotional distance. No human picture of God is perfect. But what Jesus was trying to say is think of a good dad. Think of what a dad ought to be and then apply that to God. A dad ought to provide for his children, and God will meet your needs. A dad ought to create a safe place for his kids, and God is your security. A dad ought to practice resilient love. There's nothing a kid can do that would cause a dad to turn his back on him. And God is like that. A dad even ought to provide an inheritance, and your Father in heaven has done that. And maybe most of all, Jesus used the word Father to describe God because it helps us figure out who we are. You see, if He is Father, who am I? You may have heard the name of Kirby John Caldwell. He's this great African-American preacher down in Houston. He's a very close friend of the Bush family. In fact, I think he preached their daughter's wedding. Well, he wrote this book. And in in the book, he tells a story about Evander Holyfield, former heavyweight champion boxer of the world, who would go to his church in Houston. But when he was a younger man, he wasn't a very big guy. He was a cruiserweight, and his dream was to be the heavyweight champion of the world. But he wasn't big enough. Now, Evander Holyfield never grew up knowing his father. And one day, his mama got him in the car and drove to South Alabama to a lumbering town, took him out to a lumberyard, and there was this big 230-pound lumberjack, big and strong with muscles ripping all over the place. And she said, Evander, that's your daddy. And in the book, Caldwell says, Holofield's picture of himself changed that day. On that day, in his mind, he became a heavyweight champion. Because once he knew who his dad was, he knew who he could be. And that's why Jesus wants you to think of God as Father. Because if you know who He is, and if He's Father, then who are you? You are the sons and daughters of God. And let's talk for a moment about what that means. The first thing you've got to know is that we're accepted into God's family on the basis of faith in Christ. And right off the bat, I'm going to talk about something kind of controversial. 
We're going to expose a popular lie that all the religions of the world are basically the same. And we're all God's children. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that some are children of wrath. In 1 John 3 that some are children of the devil. Jesus said in John 8, you are of your father the devil. The Bible does not say that we're all God's children. We're all God's creation. But God doesn't call all men his children. That is a special gift. The sons of God are distinguished by their relationship to the Son of God. Look with me in John chapter 1. Talking of Jesus, he said, even in his own land and among his own people, he was not accepted. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. And by the way, notice that the right to become a child of God is a gift. You don't earn it. You don't buy it. You don't work for it. You receive it by faith. That's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 3. Look at these verses with me. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. You're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now please notice. Baptism as a defining expression of faith in Jesus. He does not say, and all of you that have been clothed in Christ went and got baptized. He says, all of you that have been baptized have been clothed in Christ. He sees baptism as this birthing moment into the family of God. It's how you expressed your faith and received the right to become a son of God. And so all these steps of salvation that list faith and then later list baptism are biblically inaccurate. Baptism is not separate from faith. It's not an addition to faith. Baptism is the biblical expression of faith. And what are you expressing faith in when you get baptized? Well, later in Galatians chapter 4, it says, When the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now, what does he mean when the time had fully come? I've heard preachers say, well, that means that the Romans were in charge of the world and they had built roads all over the world so that we could spread the gospel. God doesn't need roads to spread the gospel. He wasn't waiting on the Romans to build roads. Well, it means the Greeks had a universal language. God doesn't need a universal language. This is what it means. God had given the people of Israel 1,500 years of law to prove once and for all, you can't get right with God by keeping law. You can never do enough, be good enough, be righteous enough under law to make yourself right with God. Ever. And so when the time was right, and when that point had been firmly made, Jesus came under law. The only man who ever perfectly kept law. And that man redeemed you from the curse because he was put on the cross. And everything that you deserve for being a lawbreaker was put on Jesus. That's why, you see, only one time does Jesus not call God Father in prayer. 21 times when he prays, he calls God Father. Only one time does Jesus not call God Father when he prays. He's on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he not call God Father then? 
Because in that moment, his relationship to God wasn't parental, it was judicial. In that moment, he was the sin-bearing criminal. He took on him everything you deserved. And he took it on himself. And the wrath of God fell on him. Now, when you're baptized, what you're saying is, I am putting my faith, not in my ability to keep law, I'm putting my faith in the atoning work of Jesus. I am trusting in the death and the resurrection of Jesus to make me right with God and not in myself. That's what you're saying. And so I say unapologetically to some of you in this crowd who've been coming here a long time and you haven't been baptized. It's time for you to do that. It's time for you to publicly express faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus and get baptized. But you need to know two things when you do that. Number one, when you get baptized, here's what it means. That you're now a son or daughter of God and you've got brothers and sisters. Anybody God calls a son or a daughter is your brother or your sister. And sadly, the Christian church has divided all over the world and we've built buildings and we've put up different names on different signs to segregate ourselves. And I'm saying to you, anywhere where people have put faith in Jesus Christ and in his death and resurrection, God has a son or daughter and you've got a brother or a sister and it doesn't matter what the sign says. Okay? Because we're all one in Christ. Neither the Jew nor Greek, male nor female. All that stuff comes down. The waters of baptism washes it all away. And where God has sons and daughters, you've got brothers and sisters. The second thing it means is that since this right to be a son or daughter is a gift of faith, and that's how you entered into the family, it wasn't bestowed by performance, then it's not sustained performance watchman he has a good illustration a man came to him one time and said i just feel like i'm failing as a christian i'm trying and i'm just not growing and i think i'm losing my salvation and he replied now back in my house i got a dog and that dog does everything i want it minds me it never makes a mess a pure delight to me i've also got a baby son he's a disaster he gets food all over the place he soils his diapers he's a total mess Now, who's going to get my inheritance? Not my dog, but my son. And he said, Jesus Christ died for you. And God is faithful. He never disinherits a child. And that leads right into our second point. That we're adopted so that we might be joint heirs with Christ. You see... Paul said that we might receive the full rights as sons. In the Greek, it literally says that we might receive adoption. Now, that might seem confusing. Okay, if I've been born again into the family of God, why do I need to be adopted? Well, Paul understood a very common Roman custom back then where a Roman father would take his son, or he might even take one of his slaves, and he would take him before the men of the town, and he would officially adopt him. And what that meant was, I'm putting adult status on him, and I am declaring that he is an equal heir and has full access to my whole inheritance. See, the Romans didn't do inheritance like the Jews. Now, you might remember in your Bible, the Jews would always give a double portion of the inheritance to the oldest son. 
Now, since I am the oldest son, that sounds like a good plan to me. Give me two-thirds and give my brother one-third. But my dad thinks like a Roman. And so in his will, it says, we are going to be equal heirs to the inheritance. But it goes further than that in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say we're equal heirs. The Bible says we are going to be co-heirs. You say, what's the difference? Well, let's suppose my dad owed a big old piece of land with a lot of gas wells on it. Now, he doesn't, but suppose he did. And in the will, it says, okay, Rick gets half the land. And Mark gets half the land. In that case, we would be equal heirs. But suppose the will said, both boys get the whole ranch together with everything that's contained within. In that case, we would be co-heirs. And that's what the Bible says, Romans 8 17. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Same verse in the New Living Translation. Since we're his children, we'll share his treasures for everything God gives to his son, Christ, is ours too. You see, it is impossible to be God's child and not be his heir. Now, that's not true in our world. In our world, a dad can say, some of the kids are my heirs and some of the kids aren't going to be my heirs. But in God's world, it's impossible to be his child and not be one of his heirs co-heirs with Jesus you say what are we going to inherit well in Matthew 5 Jesus said we're going to inherit the earth in Romans chapter 4 it says we're going to receive the promise of Abraham to inherit the world in Matthew 19 it says we're going to inherit eternal life which is to know God in 1 Corinthians 6 it says we're going to inherit the kingdom of God But the simplest way to understand it is, whatever Jesus gets, we're going to get to. Whatever God gives to Jesus, he's going to give to us because we are co-heirs. Look at Hebrews 1, 2 with me. Here's what Jesus is going to get. In the last days he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through whom he made the universe. In other words, what it's saying is everything that is, everything that exists, every square molecule of the universe, visible and invisible, God is going to give to Jesus and he's going to give it to you too. There is not going to be any no trespassing sign in heaven where you say, I'm sorry, this is my part of heaven. You can't have it. It's all ours because it's all Jesus and you get all of it. Now, I'm doing right now a bad job of explaining this because you're looking at me like I'm talking about tax returns. You should be really excited right now and somebody should have said amen because I just told you that God is going to give you everything he's going to give Jesus. Why aren't you more excited about that? He's going to treat every believer like he treats his son. And it's going to be an act of grace. Because you don't earn an inheritance. You simply receive it because you're an heir of the parent. It's like when John F. Kennedy in 1960 was running for president. He went to West Virginia and a coal miner came out to see him and said, I want to know something. Is it true that you are a son of one of the richest men in America? And Kennedy nodded and said, yes, sir, that's true. Is it true then that you have never had to work hard with your hands one single day in your life? And Kennedy nodded and said, yes, sir, that's true. And the miner looked at him and said, well, let me tell you something. Son, 
you haven't missed a thing. <laughs> and inheritance is good news. And the Bible says, 1 Peter 1, 4, For God has reserved a priceless inheritance for His children. It's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And then the Bible says in Romans 8 that Paul says, Because of what's prepared for us, our slight and temporary sufferings are not worth to be compared to what's coming. And I know that our slight and temporary troubles don't seem always so slight and temporary. I know that some of you today have some pretty big burdens. But the Bible says, when you ponder your inheritance as a son or daughter of God, it should help you keep all of your problems in perspective. But God knew... That there would be days when we just don't feel like an heir. And we don't feel like a child. And so there's one more thing you need to know. And that is that we're anointed to seal the relationship by the Spirit of Christ. When my youngest, Matthew, was about four years old, we bought a Disney movie called The Lion King. And the first week we watched it 57 times. And there's a scene in the movie where the big daddy lion Mufasa speaks to his younger son lion Simba. And in that big old deep lion voice says, remember, you are my son. And Matthew loved that. For weeks he would run through the house saying, remember, you are my son. (laughs) Because you see, the key to Simba's Becoming who he was meant to be was realizing he was a royal son. And God wants you to realize the same thing. And so you know what he did? Look with me at Galatians chapter 4. Because you're sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave but a son. And since you're a son, God's made you also an heir. God sent His Spirit into your heart to remind you of your status in the family and of the surety of your inheritance. The Spirit is the first installment to guarantee what's coming. Ephesians 1.14 says, The Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us everything He promised. And Romans 8 says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. You see, God sent the Spirit into your heart to give you two messages every day. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, it says, Nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And every day, the Holy Spirit is sending your heart Two messages if you will stop and listen. Message number one, Jesus is my Lord. Message number two, God is my Father. And every day you need to stop and be still and listen to the Holy Spirit remind you of those two messages.
See, our problem is not thinking too highly of ourselves. Our problem is thinking too cheaply of ourselves. We don't live like royal kids about to inherit everything. We live puny, scared, cautious, petty little lives of discipleship. Like we're not even sure about our future. Baron Rothschild was one of Europe's wealthiest men. He was a financier. He gets out of a carriage one day and uh, gives the guy a tip. And the driver frowns and says, your son always tips me more than this. And the Baron replied, well, he can afford to. He's got a rich dad and I don't. You've got a rich dad. You can afford to live a bold, brave, risky life. You should live every day. Like it's Father's Day. And I know. For some of you. This whole idea of God as loving Father. That's just hard to wrap your arms around this idea. But I hope today. You'll let the Holy Spirit. Help you by faith. Believe. That you've got a father always ready to wrap your arms, his arms around you. In fact, I want you right now to hear a testimony that makes that exact point. I'm blessed to have wonderful parents who love the Lord. I attended a Christian high school and headed off to college at UT Austin. I thought I had a strong faith in God and that I would not be tempted to turn away from him, but I hadn't really given myself to him. I grew up watching shows like The Love Boat and reading romance novels. I was focused on getting married and having kids. I made choices for who I spent time with based upon the attention and affection I received. I can remember asking myself after making choices that sent me into crisis after crisis, why did I do that? I really couldn't answer my own question. I graduated from college, got a job, and entered into yet another bad relationship. This time, I got pregnant. I had always wanted to have a baby, but I soon began to realize that the child's biological father had lied to me and was seeing other women behind my back. I had a good job, a wonderful, supportive family, and was fully able to raise a child at age 24. However, the closer I got to delivery, the more I began to question what was going to be best for my baby. After my son was born, I agonized for weeks over the decision of keeping him or allowing him to be adopted. I knew that I was going to have to live with the decision and that it would be very painful. I went to the biological dad's work one day and talked him into going to the adoption agency with me. We sat down with my counselor and had a serious discussion about what was going to be best for our son. It helped me make my decision. I have an earthly dad that is so full of faith, so loving, strong, courageous, and dependable. I decided that I wanted my son to have a dad that loved Jesus and that he could depend upon. I wanted him to be able to be so proud of his dad like I am of mine. 
Through a blur of tears, I said goodbye to my beautiful boy. That night, I was thinking about my son and started to cry. I remembered what my friend had said, and so I prayed, Jesus, please hold me. I felt arms wrap around me, and I felt a flood of peace and comfort. I still stumbled down my road of sin and selfishness until I was baptized on May 22, 1995, and asked Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I'm so humbled and thankful that He had compassion for me and comforted me in my sadness, even though I had not yet surrendered my life to Him. Now, I don't know your story, and I don't know what kind of daddy you had. I know this. There's only one time in the whole Bible that God is ever pictured being in a hurry. And when it was when he was running to go hug his son. See, God is persistent. He's always moving in the direction of his children. Always. God's been running after some of you for years. That tug in your heart, that feeling that you can't explain, that's, that's God has been chasing you for a long time. And I'll tell you something. God will never say, I will love you if. And he may disapprove of your behavior, but he'll never disinherit his children. And what does God get for loving us like this? Us. He gets us. That's all a dad really wants. And you're never going to figure out who you are till you know who he is. And so I'm going to close with one of my favorite all-time stories. Fred Craddock, well-known professor of preachers says he and his wife one time took a vacation in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. They went for a cozy meal at this small little restaurant up in the mountains. And he noticed a white-haired, distinguished-looking gentleman going from table to table chatting. And he thought to himself, I hope he doesn't come over here. We'd like to have a quiet, private meal. But the man walked by and said, uh, where are you folks from? And Craddock said, um, Oklahoma. What do you do there? I teach homiletics at a seminary. Oh, you teach preachers? I got a story to tell you. And he pulled up a chair and sat down. He said, my name is Ben Hooper, and I was born in these parts. He said, I never knew my daddy. Don't know who he is this day. And back then, that was frowned on. And when I went to school, the kids had a special word for me. And it wasn't a nice word. Most days at lunch and at recess, I would get off by myself so I wouldn't have to hear the word. And I'd go downtown on Saturday and people would stare at me. And I knew they were all thinking, that boy doesn't even know who his daddy is. Even at church. He said, I learned if I would come into church after they sang the first song and get up before they sang the last one, no one could stop and stare at me. 
But when I was 12 years old, we got a new preacher, and he surprised me. I was getting up to leave at the last song, and he was at the back, and I felt a hand on my shoulder. And this big man in a black hat and a beard looked down at me and said, Boy, whose son are you? And I put my head down. And then I heard him say, I know whose son you are. I can see the family resemblance. You are a son of God. And you've got a rich inheritance, boy. Go out and claim it. And the old man said to Fred Craddock, That sentence changed my life. And he said goodbye, and Craddock said, And I remember hearing my dad tell me something about a man twice elected governor of the state of Tennessee, man who didn't know who his daddy was, named Ben Hooper. You got to know who your daddy is to figure out who you are. Seems to me like this would be a great day to reach out to your father. I'd like you to bow your heads right now for just a second. I've asked the praise team just to sing over you for a quiet moment. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all many sons to glory. Keep your head bowed. How long has it been since you've just let your Father in Heaven love on you? Why don't you do that right now? Just let Him tell you how much He loves you. Father, help us to believe the words of the Holy Spirit, that we are indeed the sons and daughters 
God. Amen. In a moment, we're going to sing one more song. And while we sing it, if you would like to go meet with some elders and ministers of our church to get counsel or to have someone just pray with you today, you can go to our chapel. They'll be there by that cross, and they'll spend some time with you. And I'm going to be down here with a couple of ministers, and I'll tell you why. Because this is a good day for some of you to decide to be baptized. It's a good day for some of you to decide to say, I'm putting my trust and my hope in Jesus Christ and what he did for me and not in myself. And to publicly declare it by being baptized. So we'll be down here to help you do that today while we stand up and worship. Let's all stand together.